is Bloomberg Surveillance. America is not as exceptional anymore. Traditionally, where America was exceptional is that markets were working exceptionally well. The problem is the Fed tells us it's data dependent. We no longer have a framework in which to interpret the data. I worry much less about the banks in the U.S. I worry about where risk has morphed and migrated, and it's migrated and morphed away from the banks. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKean and Tom Keen. We welcome you to another hour, a midweek Wednesday hour of Bloomberg Surveillance. Oil south in the last number of minutes, a 27 handle right now, 2807. Other than that, a churn to the post-Yellen market. What do we mean? The embargoed uh, comments released, of course, in one hour, her testimony to the Senate, uh, the, the uh, representative and chairman from Texas and the Maxine Waters of California. One of the best interviews we ever did, ever, ever, ever on Bloomberg on the Economy, Bloomberg Surveillance, was with Maxine Waters, who woke up at like 3 a.m., wherever she was, Michael McKee. She was a trooper to wake up to talk to us about the experience of her district in Los Angeles. The Forex Brief, it's brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award for the best retail Forex trading platform. Visit IB at IBKR.com. Slash Forex, it's great to talk about Interactive Brokers today after talking with Mr. Cinch and Mr. Chandler about foreign exchange. The yen stuns, it's the only word that works, 121. I did the chart of BOJ and then what's happened after BOJ. It's breathtaking, 114.85, stronger Japanese yen today. No real test of 113 this morning. Um, move the decimal, the euro, 1.13 yesterday, 112.36 now, sterling 145, <coughs> excuse me, 145.12. And uh, I'm going to leave it there. I mean, you know, the hydrocarbon, they're all, everything's churning. China hasn't moved. Renminbi 6.57 yuan per uh, a, a dollar. Um, it's been exciting the last couple days with a rebound today. Is, is it everything, all boats rising, David Wilson, or is there some nuance here today? Well, it's not all boats, but I'll tell you, it's the financial boats for sure. And rising. We've certainly seen those stocks take a hit the last few days, along with their European and Japanese How's Deutsche peers. Bank doing? How's Deutsche Bank doing? You would ask me that. Um, let me just take a quick look uh, overseas. Folks, I get tears in my eyes watching David Wilson use the Bloomberg. He he. There's a museum that we have here, and there's a picture of David Wilson, what, 38 years ago? There's like uh, eight employees. No, 38, maybe 24. 24 employees. But anyway, no, 24 years ago. Anyway, Deutsche Bank's up 11% in German yeah. trading. So, uh, you know, look at the U.S. You've got Bank of America up 2%, Citigroup up 2.5%, J.P. Morgan Chase up 2%, uh, Wells Fargo up 1.5%. And then you have the media companies. They have issues with loss of cable subscribers and increased costs for sports programming. That hurt Walt Disney in their latest uh, fiscal quarter. Shares are down 5% in early trading. Similar story at Time Warner, and that stock's down 8.5%. On top of that, uh, Warner Brothers, the movie studio, didn't deliver a box office hit as uh, it did in the fourth quarter of 2014. Solar City. Elon Musk's uh, rooftop solar company, that stock down 31%. Company failed to meet its fourth quarter forecast for installations, and it's going to 
reduce the number of panels or at least the volume of electricity they produce by 34% this quarter as the company seeks to start generating cash. And you're seeing declines among other solar companies as well. Sun Edison down 5.5%, Sun Power down 7%. Are, are these blue chip stocks? The answer is no. They're like one idea growthy companies, right? Something like that. But yeah, I'll tell you, yeah, though, it's yeah. interesting that on the other hand, you are seeing coal producers who have really taken a hit uh, rally in today's trading okay. after the U.S. Supreme Court blocked the federal government from carrying out President Barack Obama's plan to cut power plant emissions. Peabody Energy up 27 percent, Consul Energy up 9 percent, Cliffs Natural Resources up 5.5 percent. We've also got Staples up 3.5%. The office supply retailers proposed to take over a rival office depot, receive clearance from European regulators. The $6.3 billion deal still requires U.S. approval, and the Federal Trade Commission has sued to block the deal. Nonetheless, Staples hire also office depot, which is up 2.5%. One more for you. Akamai Technologies up 17%. The owner of a network that delivers Internet video posted fourth quarter earnings and revenue that beat estimates. They said they would buy back as much as a billion dollars of stock and reorganize their business into two units. Is that it? That's enough. Okay. Michael, we have an interesting guest. I mean, to say uh, the least. Uh, looking out forward and into the future, when Walter Isaacson is trying to figure out how we get out there with our children in a world of robotics and globalization. And it's a thoughtful book. Bring him in. Alec Ross is the uh, author. He uh, has uh, served in a number of uh, different posts in the U.S. government, uh, four years as senior advisor for innovation to the Secretary of State, currently at uh, Johns Hopkins University. The book is The Industries of the Future, and I think basically we know what those are. Uh, he looks at what those industries, I mean, obviously robotics and data and all that and how they are going to affect us going forward. Uh, let me get a sort of underlying worldview from you about this. Uh, is this time going to be different because of the technologies we're developing, or is this a question of adapting to the new technologies in the way we have in the past? Well, I try to take as optimistic a view of this as possible, optimistic but realistic. I think that as, fa as much as our world has changed over the last 10 to 20 years, I think that the pace of change is only going to quicken. I think that in very high-cost labor markets like the United States, I think the need to adapt is only going to grow stronger. It's not the strongest who survive or the most intelligent, but those most adaptable to change. Who is going to be most adaptable to change? Is there a characteristic of a government or a business? Well, you know, it's, it, that's a great question. I think that there are examples of governments around the world, some in Asia, some in Scandinavia, that have centralized industrial planning, even China with Beijing, where if they make a strategic assessment about where the world is going over the next 10 or 15 years, they're able to, to turn the battleship and sort of allocate resources across their economy to be able to pivot. We in the United States, we are a more purely capitalist society, and thank goodness for that. We don't want our business leaders taking instructions from Washington. So to the extent, yeah. that, there is, to the extent that there's going to be adaptation, it's going to have to come first at the company level, and then we can just hope that government tries to keep up.
You have the absolutely coolest background coming out of Northwestern University, Robert Gordon's Northwestern University. And of course, he's a talk of economics now about the American aspiration is over and our engineering's over, et cetera, et cetera. But what I love, Alec, about what you're doing with technology is you're a history major which is just That's absolutely, right. totally cool. When, within what you see and the angst that all of our listeners have, when you look at the American industries of the future, are they going to benefit Americans or are they going to benefit a technological plutocracy? They are going to benefit some Americans, but it's not going to be like industrial age America. You know, I, I, I wish I were more optimistic here. On the one hand, I'm optimistic macroeconomically. I, the United States yeah. will be the headquarters. The United States will be the headquarters for a lot of the industries of the future. The problem is that they aren't going to produce massive middle classes and very large working class so then, jobs. Okay, then what you do so well is then you dovetail that into public policy. And, you know, you worked in the State Department and that. Let's say you get the presidential candidate you want to win. You go into government and you have to affect a policy for the Americans you just talked about. All of our audience wants to know, what's that policy? Well, I think it, a lot of it has to do with education. So this isn't sexy stuff, but vocational education and community college serve segments of the most vulnerable parts of America. Tens of millions of Americans go through vocational education in community colleges, but they are largely unchanged since, like, the 1980s. And, and the kind of education you get going through there is not necessarily oriented towards the industries of the future. So the policy I would do is I would change all of the financing that comes from the federal government into programs like this that hit middle America and make sure that they are programmed towards programs and certifications and that there are incentives so that we are training today's working class to compete and succeed in tomorrow's economy. Alec Ross. It's an important book. Alec Ross, thank you so much. The Industry of the Future. If you're in New York, we got to get you back on here again. Eric Schmidt. I, oh, come on, Mike. This is killing me. Eric's, uh, Alec is killing me. He's got Eric Schmidt, Executive Chairman, comma, Alphabet. Okay, I, I'm sorry, Alec. It's Google. It's yes. not Alphabet. I don't we, care we, what this is. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna. It's killing we me. We are the. We are the. The information age luddites. And, and what Schmidt talks about, which Alec Ross absolutely nails, is we're growing more chaotic, which might goes right, right back to the political system and Mr. Trump and Mr. Sanders. Well, heck, if you don't even know the name of the biggest tech company, you know. I, I know. What are you gonna do? Well, there, there it is. The industries of the future. Alec Ross. A very thoughtful cry for a change in America. Futures deteriorate up 10. 910 on Wall Street. Let's bring in Michael Barr with the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has canceled an event today in South Carolina. Christie finished in sixth place in the New Hampshire Republican primary yesterday. He told supporters last night he was heading back to New Jersey to take a deep breath and assess what comes next. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, fresh off his big win in New Hampshire, says he talked with Christie after the primary. For the Democrats, Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton by 21 percentage points in yesterday's New Hampshire primary. A cruise ship battered by a major storm in the Atlantic Ocean is due back in New Jersey tonight. The ship carrying more than 4,500 passengers and 1,600 crew members left New Jersey Saturday on a seven-day cruise to the Bahamas, but on Sunday, the vessel sailed into a major winter storm. 
Royal Caribbean says four passengers sustained minor injuries. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thank you so much. Futures up 10, down futures up 70. Watching oil 27.80 per barrel, down 14 cents. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. Market Drivers brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz 4Matic all-wheel drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer for a test drive today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update brought to you by American Arbitration Association. International trade or business dispute resolve faster with the International Center for Dispute Resolution, the leader in alternative dispute resolution around the world, ICDR.org. U.S. stock index futures are higher, but they have paired their advances. They are tracking gains in European markets as bank shares rebound, indicating the S&P 500 index will rebound from its lowest level since 2014, ahead of Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen's testimony before Congress. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures are up 10 points. Dow E-mini futures up 63. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 43. DAX in Germany up 1.9 percent. Ten-year Treasury down 4.30 seconds. The yield one. NYMEX crude oil down 6 tenths percent or 17 cents to 27.78 a barrel. COMEX gold down 7 tenths percent or $8.80 to 11.89.80 an ounce. The euro, $1.12.28. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. And now, folks, I'm going to be blunt. If you're on Global Wall Street, this is the most important interview of the day. There are exactly two Bloomberg Gadfly articles. And what I've said to people is there's like 18 of them a day. And there's two of them that are absolutely must reading this morning. One of them is Duncan Maven. I featured it on TV on Deutsche Bank out of London. It is fabulous on tangible book value. And the other is a jewel. I mean, Mike, she's hit or miss. Like if she writes 10 articles, four or five of them are, you know, like really suspect. Like, you know, why did she come in? And, and then there's a couple that are okay. And every once in a while, she just kills it. Tom, you know, I, such sweetness. I know. Such sweetness. I'm, 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 so wiping, welcome I'm wiping away the tears of We of actually happiness. wanted her to come back Lisa, once in a while. <laughs> Lisa Bramas joins us this morning on what everybody's talking about, which is there's nothing going on. And the critical distinction, which you nail in Bonds So Liquid, they're drowning, is as David Goldman said eight years ago, the better quality stuff is going down with the garbage. Discuss. Well, you know, there's been a lot of focus on bank bonds in particular and the financial bonds of J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, some of the big U.S. banks that really have gotten safer and their balance sheets are more fortified now than they were before the crisis. And there's a question of, you know, are these banks, are we on the brink of another banking crisis? A liquidity crisis. And Big debate. the issue is that these bonds are easier to sell than many of the other assets that people have on their books. So that's what they get rid of. So that's what they get rid of. So right now there is concerns about the financial system, but these are also bonds that are the most frequently traded. You're seeing right now volumes in corporate debt trading decline pretty dramatically. Do you know who's selling those? Is it the dreaded, my mic, I think, in the last five days? 
I've had eight people tell me the dreaded sovereign wealth funds. Well, there was the Norwegian wealth fund. There was a great story um, by my colleague Saleh Mohsen, um about the Norwegian wealth fund. It's the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world with $810 billion. And they're selling assets. Jamie Dimon's bonds. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not just them. Look, right now there's a lot of speculation, and I want to just say it is speculation about you know hedge funds that are doing pretty poorly. I mean, you've got junk bond yields on energy debt that now have surged beyond 20 percent, the highest ever even including the credit crisis. So, you know, you think about all of those hedge funds, mutual funds, sovereign wealth funds that, that bought this stuff up, they are facing losses, paper losses, if nothing mm. else, but they need to raise money. Uh, so there is a lot of selling, and it's more a matter of sell what you can, not what you want to. Well, that's what happens. But when you're talking about hedge funds and sovereign wealth funds, uh, if I may be blunt, who cares? I mean, these are big boys and girls. Uh, they put their money at risk, and you know a lot of people are saying, uh, "Where's the Fed to save ours?" Uh, you know, uh, but you you made the bet, you lost. Well, I'm working on a column right now about how uh, sort of the the commodities bubble bursting has made it very difficult for central bankers right now to really create that search for yield again. The search for yield seems to be over. And there's not a lot that central bankers can do right now. I mean, they can lower rates, but it's just causing people to plow into sovereign debt, not into riskier debt. You're seeing premiums widen out dramatically. And the, the point is, all of these sovereign wealth funds, these hedge funds, these mutual right. funds, these institutions, they don't have the same willingness or depth to be able to buy some of the right. riskier assets. Mike, I want to point out, Dominique Constant was adamant about this in his note, which Zero Hedge redid. The spread is more important than the rate right now, what Lisa just said. The spreads, whether it's high-yield energy garbage or it's Citigroup paper versus the full faith and credit is the key distinction. Well, clearly, you know, there's been a change in the confidence level uh, among investors and the idea that taking risk is is worth the return at this point. Um, nobody's buying into that, and we're going to have to go through a period where that's an issue. But uh, we knew that. Essentially. Well, but but so here's the thing. You know, you've got central bankers that are trying to continue the stimulus, right? I mean, you've got uh, Kuroda in Japan and uh, Mario Draghi in Europe saying they will do whatever it takes in order to stimulate their economies. But if you have the risk-off trade going mm -hmm. on strong and you've got investors that are losing tangibly, losing money. How are right. they going to bring that back? Oh, can, do you like working for Bloomberg Gadfly? I do. I mean, you just, you, you know, you, you look effervescent and vibrant and you know, it's, it's, it's like a whole new world, right? Well, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating market right now. We're in unprecedented, uncharted times. It's been, it's been okay. definitely Lisa exciting. Bramowitz, Bloomberg Gadfly. I'll put it on social media. Just an outstanding pairing. Lisa Bramowitz and Duncan Maven on some of the finance that's going out right there. I, Mike, Mike, I'm offended. Vice Chairman Fisher speaking without me being there. Oh, I didn't think that I'm was offended. possible anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah they're the, the headlines. The vice chairman is uh, uh, speaking in uh, Washington, uh, as is Janet Yellen. But he's talking about a different subject. He's talking about the Fed uh, and other government agencies still have substantial lender of last resort authorities. So, in other words, um, if somebody has to bail somebody out, it can be done. Not that he's suggesting yeah, well, it should be done. Look at the headline, but new approach untried. That well, goes to Lisa's comments where we haven't tested this yet. Uh, none of it uh, has been tested. And yeah. uh, there are new rules for the Fed's emergency lending authority that were changed since mm -hmm. they bailed out Bear Stearns. So, so it's a well, new world. Is. 
A new world, and then in 35 minutes, uh, we'll hear from Chair Yellen, then important questions by Chairman Henselling in the House. Um, the mark, uh, it's deceptive, folks. The tape is quiet. The Bloomberg terminal looks quiet. Great. Oil is testing new weakness, 27.62 a barrel, down 32 cents. Brent crude is not through 29 handle, 30.49 in yen testing the strength level of the recent uh, last days, 114.66. Stay with us. We need to get the markets open. Worldwide, Bloomberg Surveillance. We're counting you down to the opening bell, brought to you by the refined Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland. It continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one into your local Jeep dealer today. Jeep, the official vehicle of Killington Resort. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. And good morning. I'm Tara in Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee. And the opening bell brought to you by SEI. Have evolving investor and regulatory demands affected your investment firm's operational readiness? Imagine transforming your business with SEI's global platform at SEIC.com slash imagine. And stocks are higher at the open. The S&P 500 is up half percent or nine points to 1861. Dow Jones Industrial Average up a quarter percent or 38 points to 16,050. NASDAQ up 1.1% or 48 points to 4316. Ten-year Treasury down 430 seconds. The yield 1.73%. Yield on the two-year 0.73%. NYMEX crude oil down 8 tenths percent or 21 cents to 27.74 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 7 tenths percent or $8.50 to 11.90.40 an ounce. The euro $1.1237. The yen 114.74. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. This is a huge honor and pleasure for me and Michael McKee. We speak now with William R. White. Here's what you need to know. When I give lectures to college students, I say to them in Econ 101, you must read the two William White papers from the Dallas Fed written in the recent years. They're 20 pages. There's 30 pages. Because he's William White of Canada, there's very little math. It's mostly about history, and it's, Mike, it's, it's unbelievable. It's in English. You can understand it. Joining us now, William White, an esteemed economist from Canada with work, among other places, the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, Dr. White, wonderful to speak to you again. You're far too, you're far too kind, but thank you. I, I do you this, though, much. Bill. I, I, I do this, and, you know, you got to understand, folks, when William White speaks, a guy like Stanley Fisher leans forward to put things in perspective. If you wrote your paper on monetary history right now, are we facing a linkage of weak aggregate demand, slow global economy, folded into a nascent banking crisis? Well, I, 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 Fear that all of the above is possible, uh, certainly in terms of the aggregate uh, demand side. I mean, it seems to me that um, virtually everywhere you look, uh, all the major geographical regions, independently, they all have issues. I mean, we've got problems in Japan. We've got the transition in uh, 
China, we've got uh, fears of slowing and recession in the United States. Europe is, uh, we all know the kinds of problems that Europe has got, both uh, economic and political. And in addition to all of the individual areas looking sort of iffy, I guess my concern is that the degree of interlinkage is such that if we do get some problems, some big if, this is an if, if we do get some big problems anywhere, we, we will very soon have problems almost everywhere. And that would be my concern. Now, on the banking side, I, I again, I think it was Warren Buffett who, who said at one point that he'd stopped reading the accounts because he couldn't follow them. So the, the, the real worry is that we just simply don't know with respect to the banks. And I think it's that sort of sense of uncertainty and, and a possible downside that's been leading to what we've been seeing, been seeing recently. But seems, my fundamental problem is I don't know. There seems to be a feeling that central banks are out of ammunition now. Well, one of, one of the things, um, in, in a certain sense, I, I almost hope that they are, because... As, 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 as Tom said, referring to my earlier work, uh, I guess I've been of the view for a long period of time that the fundamental problem we face is a problem of excessive debt uh, virtually everywhere. Um, the private debt to G- – sorry, not the private – the non-financial debt as a percentage of D- GDP has gone up from 210% to 250% since 2007. Okay, so we have this debt problem, and allied to that, I guess we have a, a, a form of potential insolvency problem. To me, printing the money and adding to the debts and inducing people to take on more debt just makes the problem worse. It is not a solution. And so if the central banks have, lo- have run out of ammunition uh, because the interest rates are as low as they are and the experimental stuff that they have done doesn't seem to have been very helpful, uh, frankly, I, I think that would be a good thing because it would focus the minds of governments on doing the sorts of things that only governments can do. What then can a central banker do at this point? Um, it, it... Not, very, not very much, I fear. I mean, the, 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 the worry, in a sense, is the degree to which even the skeptical central bankers, and I'm thinking particularly of the ECB here earlier on, the, the, the central bankers that were skeptical about the use of these very unconventional monetary unconventional, unprecedented monetary instruments, they've come on side in a, in a way that seems to indicate they've bought into the idea that they can do mm. more than they are doing, which I dispute. And the latest round of it, of course, has been this um, negative interest rates in Japan, which has now sort of come back so that we're starting to see stuff in the press about maybe the ECB will have to do even more. Uh, Janet Yellen apparently just last week said that it was something that they should think about, whereas my recollection was a few months ago she was saying that it was just uh, too dangerous and one wouldn't want to think about it. Uh, Ben Bernanke has come out saying that the Fed should think about it. Mm -hmm. So maybe everybody's going to 
get in on the act right. one more time. And I don't think it's helpful. I think it's dangerous. And Dr. White, Axel Leonovud, who you have in your papers, and folks, they're a sweep of economic history, was the Marine coming out of the trenches in 1968 against the certitude of Keynesian prescription. Stanley Fisher mentioned three or four times the word uncertainty when I spoke to him a number of weeks ago at the Council on Foreign Relations. And it almost harkens back to a certitude about uncertainty, and because of that, we need to be hesitant. Do we need to be more aggressive in our economics now, like Leonovud, or do we need to be more tentative in our monetary thinking, as we hear from Janet Yellen, as we hear from Stanley Fisher? Oh, I think we need to be more tentative in, in the following sense. I think the model that the central bankers and the IMF and the others, including the OECD, for whom I do contract work now, um, I think the model that they have used over the course of the last 50 years or so is just wrong. Uh, and it's wrong at a fundamental philosophical level. You know, They have made, as I put in a more recent paper, a fundamental ontological mistake. They think the economy is a machine, they think it is understandable, and they think it is controllable. And the fact of the matter is it is not understandable because it is a complex and adaptive yeah. system. And because it's not understandable, it's certainly not right. controllable. We're going to come back. We're not going to do DSGE differential equations. We're we not. May, Mike, Mike oh, we may not even do Newtonian mechanics oh, because William White will hang up the phone. We are honored to bring you William White. I just put out on Twitter his two uh, landmark papers for Richard Fisher's Dallas uh, Fed. I can't convey enough how important they are to give you scope and scale on the economic debates. We will continue with William White of Canada. Uh, Dallup, 52 points. I'm watching yen. It is stronger. 114.58 really buttresses up against key uh, resistance to a stronger uh, yen. West Texas Intermediate lower, 27, uh, 27.42 per barrel. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Bernie Sanders are the easy winners in the New Hampshire presidential primaries. Meanwhile, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has canceled an event today in South Carolina. Last night he told his supporters he would take a deep breath and reevaluate his campaign. Christie finished sixth in the Republican New Hampshire primary. There is strong bipartisan support in the Senate today for another attempt at punishing North Korea over its nuclear weapons program and rocket launches. The bill that senators plan to vote on targets North Korea's ability to access the money it needs for developing miniaturized nuclear warheads and the long-range missiles to deliver them. A group representing a number of large airlines is pushing for big changes to the U.S. air traffic control program the head of Airlines for America will testify before Congress today on a bill that places air traffic control under a private nonprofit corporation rather than the federal government. Group spokesperson Sharon Pinkerton. We spent $6 billion in 10 years, and we really haven't made the kind of progress that we need to make. We're no longer the gold standard when it comes to air traffic control reform. Critics say privatizing air traffic control would push more costs to consumers. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thank you so much. We're math-free. Well, maybe. Michael McKee and Tom King, we're with William White. Stay with us worldwide and all of Canada. Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning.
Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Audi Meadowlands in Secaucus, New Jersey, powered by Benzel Bush, offering a commitment to service, luxury, and value with total transparency. Start your journey at AudiMeadowlands.net and define the way you drive. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper. Does your accountant do more than crunch numbers? Eisner Amper understands the more than their clients know. The, they understand that more than their clients know, the better the outcome. That's why they've created a 2016 personal tax guide. Free download at EisnerAmper.com slash strategies. U.S. stocks are rising while the dollar fluctuates with treasuries after Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen signaled confidence the economy can withstand gradual tightening even as financial market turmoil poses a threat to global growth. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 up half percent or nine points to 1861. Dow Jones Industrial Average up two tenths percent or 38 points to 16,055. NASDAQ's up nine tenths percent or 39 points to 4310. Ten-year Treasury down 132nd, the yield 1.73 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.72 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.4 percent or 39 cents to 27. 55 a barrel. Comex Gold is down six tenths percent, or six dollars seventy cents, to 11.92 an ounce. The euro, a dollar 12.38. The yen, 114.68. And Janet Yellen said in prepared testimony to Congress that the Fed still expects to raise rates gradually, while making it clear that continued market turmoil could throw the central bank off course. And U.S. and European Union regulators reaching an agreement on oversight of the 553 trillion dollar global derivatives market. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, thank you so much. Michael McKee, you know this better than me. I was flabbergasted. William White grew up in, I'm going to pronounce it, Kenora, Ontario. The distance from, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Kenora, Ontario is, is 1100, 1200 miles from Toronto. It's and like, still in the same province. Yeah, it's 1,200 <laughs> miles west of Toronto. It's like New York to Omaha. Who in America would ever know that Ontario was that big? Well, certainly anybody who's ever driven it, as I, as I have done myself a few times when I was younger, it's a, it's a big place. It's a big place. It's, it's it's, we have no idea in America that part of Ontario, Mike, is north of, of Minneapolis. Let's continue with William White. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can top that, Bill. Um, the, the interesting thing about central banks these days is that we seem to have come to the end of um, conventional, unconventional policy. There is always the helicopter drop. But uh, beyond that... Um well, the, the helicopter drop, I mean, I, I've had a couple of exchanges with uh, um, Lord Adair Turner on this. And uh, again, I, I, going back to my point earlier on about the economy as a complex adaptive system, one of the, the, the insights that comes out from that simple recognition is you should be very careful about doing experimental things because in a fundamental way you don't know what you're doing. Now on the, on the helicopter money, I mean as far as I can understand it, it comes down to fiscal stimulus which is financed by the central bank. Okay, so you put the two balance sheets together, the government and the central bank. The, the government spends more money, they build up debts, 
and it shows up as a liability of the central bank. And that's perfectly fine. And in, in fact, we've been doing a lot of that over the course of the years, we, the recent years. We don't call it helicopter money, but it's much the same. The deficits and the debt have gotten bigger. The size of the central bank has got bigger. But the, the, the question that emerges is what happens when you have to take all this stuff out? And can, can you do it in an orderly way? And there, I think, um, not that anybody has begun, but when the time comes to do it, it'll be very interesting to see whether they can, whether they can manage it. And for countries that have already got big government debts, to do helicopter money in addition, let's suppose Japan, good example, Okay, where the government debt is what two hundred and fifty percent of GDP, the deficit is still seven or eight percentage points of GDP. The Bank of Japan is financing forty percent of all government expenditures in Japan. This thing could get out of hand, fiscal dominance, very quickly. So, I think there might be some cases where you could go that one extra step, as it were, with the with the helicopter money, joint fiscal and monetary. But you've got to understand that this is inherently an enormously dangerous path to go down. And the bigger your initial level of debt is, the more dangerous it becomes. I, keep your eye on Venezuela, Brazil, then afterwards we'll, we'll see. Well, in terms of what you can accomplish with it, the goal seems to have changed. I mean, it was to keep inflation from getting out of hand. Now it seems to be stimulate aggregate demand. Yes and no. It's now it's stimulating aggregate demand in the interests of raising a rate of inflation which is considered to be too low. Now that in itself is a, is a sort of a bit of a, a puzzle because it, think back to 2007 and and there's some similarities today. What what if this is all a big supply side shock, a big positive supply side shock? Okay as it was prior to 2007, for sure, coming in from the global level. Does it make sense, in the face of this positive supply-side shock, which is pushing up everybody's profits and wages and, and whatever in a sustainable way, does it really make sense to just print the money and expand the credit system in order to offset the disinflationary influence? I don't think it makes any right. sense at all. One of the great themes of Davos, William White, was my perception, and folks, it's just my opinion, that we don't have money illusion, the British phrase of nominal GDP and the effects of inflation upon our thinking, but we maybe we have a new phrase, interest rate illusion. We have nominal rates and real rates that have been crushed so low that our behaviors changed. Have you seen that in economic history? Have we ever had a period like we have now where businesses... Their behavior is adapted and adjusted, and here's the key mathematical word, folks, to chronic interest rate illusion. Um, you know, the only thing I could think of, and I can't get the file here, there's, a, there's a, an article that was written by um, Schumpeter uh, back in... He was uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Joseph Schumpeter, folks, of Harvard and LSE. Yeah, yeah, very famous economist. And he wrote this thing back in 1934 about, uh, about the Great Depression and earlier depressions. And he made reference to the um, campaign of William, William Jennings Bryant, you know, who wanted to introduce uh, bimetallism. Right. Okay. Now, one would have thought, Schumpeter said, that people would have looked upon this as 
inflationary, and they would have tried to protect themselves. But in fact, what happened was the very opposite. The whole economy fell apart as the business community basically said they're tampering, they're tampering with the monetary and credit system. I don't know what the outcome will be, and I'm hunkering down. And that, I think, is something that in the back of my mind is, is worrisome, that all of this experimentation um, on the money and credit side, all this experimentation is leading people to feel the central bankers themselves are uncertain about how to react here. The fact that different central banks are doing different things is not helping either, right? There's no science to this. It's totally, totally art and totally experimental. And one of the things that could come out of it is just a general reduction in confidence as people hunker down in the face of the associated uncertainty. Yeah. Well, let's go, let's, in our final thoughts here, let's go back to uncertainty. I guess every Fed bank varies region to region in the governor's debate and complain. What would be your prescription for Janet Yellen? If you were to, you know, you consult to the OECD, but if you were to consult to the Fed and have a cup of coffee with Vice Chairman Fisher and Chair Yellen, what would be the white prescription? My prescription would be both at the national level and at the international level to go back to the governments and get the governments to address the fundamental issues mm -hmm. that are behind the current problems. Because, as I said right at the beginning, if this is an insolvency problem, central banks who can furnish liquidity cannot deal with an insolvency problem. And so they should go back to the governments. Now, in the United States, and I'll make you some sort of generic statements here, Please. sort of for the, the, global, the global economy as a whole, Governments with room for maneuver should use it on the macro side. That would please Keynes. Um, societies that have been run on a kind of mercantilist basis, keeping wages down to, mm -hmm. to, to, to ensure that exports will be higher, okay, more competitive, they should change that policy to start trying to increase domestic demand. And you know the, the big yeah. countries that I'm talking about. Right, right, right. Um, Public and private investment should be encouraged in a way that it has not been. I don't understand this hang-up about infrastructure spending, why there can't be more of it when we so desperately need it and the interest rates are so low. Right. All this is sort of Keynesian stuff on the demand side. On the supply side, um, again, it's only the governments that could act. We need more awareness of the fact that a lot mm -hmm. of these debts cannot be serviced. And we should take steps to write them off, to restructure yeah. them, to replace them with equity, okay? And lastly, there's all these structural reforms. And I can tell you from my yeah. experience at the OECD, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. That you can start with. That you can okay. start with to get the growth rate yeah. up and make the debt more serviceable. Right. William White, please write another paper for the Dallas Fed as soon as you can. William White is an economist. Some of you will remember coming up on 13 years ago, his historic discussion with Alan Greenspan at the Jackson Hole meetings of the Kansas City Fed. That was fabulous. We are produced by YUN, our global technical director, Ken Coldplay-Felio. It's Bloomberg Surveillance.